person who is in Oregon gear, not Oregon, but Portland gear, and most yes. of the time I see you in Washington gear, so I'm going to leave it like that. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. Melissa, Jill, good morning, everybody. My name is Jay, and uh, if you were here last time, and I need a higher music stand, excuse me for a minute. Oh, that's not going to do it. It's the other button. Okay, technology, there we go. All right. I don't know what's wrong with these worship leaders and these short music stands. All right. Let me say it again. Hi, my name's Jay. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, if you were here last time, uh, I spoke a few months ago. You know that I am a child of the 80s. What you might not know is that I am also a child of the 70s. And so at this point, I would say, cue that disco music cat. Right? Oh, this brings... Some of you just want to stand. Just go ahead. Just go ahead. Just be free. Disco ball's going to start in a second. All right. <laughs> right? Brings back memories, doesn't it? Yeah, some of you woke up for the first time and said, I'm in church. All right. It's, uh, it's, it is good to see you all uh, today. Uh, Pastor Tim and his lovely bride are uh, on a couple weeks R&R, and so you're stuck with me this morning. And we're going to talk about family today, and uh, much ado has been made about family in our culture and in our day, and rightly so. Uh, in fact, most of my family is here today, and uh, they're not in the back row even, but, uh, but they are here. Uh, I promised them lunch, and uh, my oldest son actually and his girlfriend Laxa actually came all the way from Arizona in Phoenix where it's like 158 today uh, in Phoenix. And, uh, but, you know, it's the power of Burrito Boy, and here they are. So uh, anyway, it's great to have my family uh, here today. Um, many people would say, if asked in a survey, what your number one priority in life is, many people, perhaps most people, would say family. Perhaps most of you even in this room. However... Have we taken this perhaps just a little bit too far? I believe that we have family. Most importantly, however, it's not what I think or what you think, but what does Jesus say about the matter? It would greatly benefit us, as always, to take a look. And it just might surprise you. So here's the bottom line that's going to magically appear on the screen behind me. And it's this, Jesus wants us to be a family of brothers and sisters following him, not a religion, an organization, or an institution. So let's break this down a little bit, because this is exceedingly good news. It's exceedingly good news, which Jesus, of course, is famous for. But what does it mean for us as Fifth Avenue, as we gather and as we scatter, that Jesus wants us to be a family? And how can we do church as a family. So this morning, doing church as a family. To answer that, let's look first at a theology of family, then welcome to the family and a recipe for a family, all right? All of this according to Jesus. Now a theology of family. Now before you go back to sleep, just hang in there with me for a couple of moments longer. Theology is the study of God and his relation to the world. 
And he has a very direct relationship to the world. It says in the message, uh, the uh, introduction to the book of John, it says that Jesus came and made his dwelling. He moved into our neighborhood. So when it comes to theology and God's relation to man, he is not somewhere far off sitting on a lonely throne with the big sledgehammer in his hand, but he is a God who loved us so much that he was willing to come and tabernacle among us, to dwell among us in our neighborhood, to live and be tempted just like we are, yet be without sin, and yet sacrifice on our behalf. So, in teaching us to pray, Jesus said this, you should speak to him like this, our Father in heaven. Now, the preamble here is to what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, and we've probably prayed it you know, if we've been in the church any length of time, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, all right? Very familiar passage of scripture and very familiar statement of Jesus, our Father in heaven is how it begins. Now, we're rightly drawn to the word Father. We're rightly drawn because, and it's significant because God wants us to relate to him in intimate terms. Jesus is inviting us to relate to the Father like he relates to the Father. And that is in an intimate, family-based kind of way. Yes, he is an almighty God. Yes, he's a creator. Yes, he's a judge. Yes, he's all-powerful and all-knowing and eternal and all of those things. But he wants us to relate to him as Father. But not just Father, but our Father. So those two words right there just snap things into perspective as far as how God wants us to relate to him and also how he wants us to relate to one another as family. God is our father in that same kind of relational intimacy. He wants us to get far beyond just gathering together as a religious group of people, as an institution or an organization. And This simple understanding that we are brothers and sisters following Jesus together answers the significant question of who we are. Who are we? Who are we as believers? Better yet, who does Jesus want us to be together? And the answer again is our bottom line. He wants us to be a family of brothers and sisters following him with God himself as our father, period. And this is our true starting place, not just in our prayer life, but in our life together. He doesn't want us, again, to just be an organization or institution, although our culture constantly and consistently wants us to press us into that mold. Rather, he wants us to experience the joy and the life of a family that is dwelling together. Jesus actually has a much bigger idea of what family is than we do. Through the eyes of Jesus, it goes beyond our bloodline. Consider these shocking words of Jesus that will be on the screen. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers came and stood outside because they wanted to talk to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and want to talk with you. Jesus answered, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his followers and said, these are my mother and brothers Anyone who obeys my Father in heaven is my brother or sister or mother. Jesus puts the challenge out 
in no uncertain terms here, that family goes far beyond just our bloodline. Now, it also includes, of course, the people that we are worshiping with together, fully embracing those as they follow Jesus, as the family of God. We even sang about it this morning. But we don't stop there, because Jesus didn't. We need to pay close example to his close attention rather to his example and the people that he related to and what that tells us about their inherent value. Let's consider Zacchaeus, the person that I relate to so much. Little Zacchaeus, it was so short that he had to climb a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Zacchaeus was incredibly notorious in that day because the tax collectors were looked at like we look at the IRS, but even more so. Because these, these people were traitors to their own people, is how they were seen. They were collecting taxes for the hated, oppressive Roman government. So not only were they working on their behalf, but they were also taking more than they should in order to pad their pockets. And Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, he was called a chief of tax collectors. So that's the perfect person, right? for Jesus to have lunch with. And people were like, really? Yeah, that, that's perfect. And, and the perfect person in Matthew is also a tax collector to be, to be included in Jesus' original band of 12. Zacchaeus had this incredible encounter with Jesus coming to his house, and it changed everything. Transformation followed to where Zacchaeus said this, I will give half of my property to the poor, and I will now pay back four times as much to everybody that I have cheated. That probably rep, rep, represented no significant amount of dollars in that day. But often lost in this interchange is the most shocking conclusion of Jesus. This is what he says. Today, freedom has come to this home because he is a child of Abraham. Because the Son of Man came to look for and to save people who were lost. Now again, notice the very direct words of Jesus here. He said, Zacchaeus is a child of Abraham, not has now become. He was lost, sure, and now freedom has found him. But to Jesus, Zacchaeus was family before he changed his ways. This attitude and embrace of Jesus was a tremendous offense to the religious establishment of the day, and it still is. We see this again when Jesus decides to strike up a conversation with the woman at the well, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. After returning from town, the followers were surprised to find Jesus talking with a Samaritan. Not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. They must have been stunned when they saw this. Because what's often missed here culturally is that it was never okay for a man and a woman who weren't married to be alone together. So it wasn't just that he was talking to a woman and showing her value, and it wasn't just that she, she was a Samaritan woman, and we know the rest of the story, not just any Samaritan woman, but shacking up with somebody and having multiple husbands and all of these things. In fact, she was coming out to the well in the middle of the day because she was an outcast of society because of her choices. But there was only one exception that was permissible 
for a man and a woman to be talking together individually away from the crowd. Can you guess what it is? Family. Family. It was only appropriate if it was family. So what Jesus was demonstrating here is that he saw this wayward woman, this Samaritan dog, as part of the family before her transformation. And that, to me, is one of the many beautiful pictures of how Jesus relates to people. Now, in the church, we often get high-centered on the family of God. And again, rightly so. We are, as we sang this morning, children of the living God. And it is worth singing about. However, Jesus, again, doesn't stop there. The way Jesus treats everybody he comes in contact with, including Zacchaeus, the cheat and chief tax collector, and the woman at the well, is this. It's a no-borders view of family. In the eyes of Jesus, they are all family. They are all brothers and sisters. As it says on the screen, through the eyes of Jesus, family is actually the human race without borders. Now, what if we ran with that? How different would our world be? Next, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Now, some of you might have recognized the opening uh, hymn from uh, the uh, godly group Sister Sledge of uh, the uh, theme song from uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates and their magical run to the uh, World Series championship, their only one, I believe, in 1979. That was their theme song as Willie Stargell was hitting home runs. And uh, that was just two years after a very significant uh, occasion for all of us in 1977, which was the uh, one and only world championship of our beloved Blazers, right? Come on, people. How can you stay in your seats? Yeah. 1977. That was just a few years ago. Now, do you remember the theme song for our beloved Trailblazers back in the day? Right? Oh, some, some of you are just taking this far too casually. This is our one and only world championship. Okay. All right. One of the greatest days of my life is when Larry Steele came to my hometown of Prineville, Oregon. I was 10. And, uh, no, I wasn't. I was nine. And uh, he signed my Trailblazer World Championship poster. And then Maurice Lucas came to the Bend Airport. And he signed, you know, his picture. I mean, big, big, big. All right. Like I said, child... Child of the 70s, I definitely am. But when it comes to welcome to the family, we've got the NFL. Now, it's just, the good news is this. Sorry, some of you are going to have to plug your ears, including my wife, but we're just like weeks away. I think it's like August 8th is like, you know, the kickoff, you know, who cares, you know, preseason game. But, but, of course, whenever you see football on TV, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if the game doesn't count. It's like, football, yeah. But the NFL has got a slogan that they started called Football is Family. 
And to that I say, really? Football is family, really? Perhaps in the most dysfunctional sense. It probably feels like family when players are healthy and able to contribute. But what about the players that get injured and can't produce anymore? What about quarterbacks that throw too many interceptions? What about players that are getting long in the tooth and aren't as fast and strong as they used to be? What about coaches that lose a few too many games? The answers are obvious, aren't they? The NFL, in fact, in most cases, stands for not for long. Uh, I actually had a friend that played for a couple of years uh, for the uh, Oregon State Beavers, sorry, and, uh, and, and played a few years in the pros. And uh, he said, the most dreaded thing that could be said to you is, hey, Roger, coach wants to see you. Bring your playbook. What that means is, goodbye, see ya. Football is family. If you watch the NFL draft, which is kind of fun, uh, they show the guys backstage and they come walking down this hallway before they're on the stage. Have you seen this before? And there's this gigantic banner that they walk under. And the banner says, welcome to the family. And every time I see that, I want to go, really? Now, let's just call it what it is, right? Let's just call it what it is. It's a team. And it's totally fine to have teams. But let's not pretend that it's family, because the truth comes out later. Of course, the same is tragically true in all areas of our culture, where the term family is often inappropriately employed. In the workplace, when you're not meeting quota. In a private club, when you can't pay your fees. Even in a religious institution, you did what? Sorry, but we simply can't allow you to be here. It's everywhere that the term family is employed. And oftentimes, it's well-meaning. But the bottom line is still the bottom line. It is still conditional. It's based on production. It's based on behavior. It's based on status. It's not the family that Jesus has in mind. That's why Jesus wants us to get beyond just the church being an institution or an organization. Now, in our culture, there are a lot of great organizations and institutions. This is not, this is not bang on you know, organizations and institutions day. Because many of us work for great institutions that our world would be a worse place without. But again, Jesus wants us to get beyond that. And he wants our gathering here to get beyond just another organization, another institution doing good in our community, which, again, we should be doing. He wants us to get way past that and truly be a family, not just incorrectly declare it. A family that loves one another unconditionally and functions very differently together than the other organizations and institutions in our culture. Now, let's look at a family recipe. We all love good recipes, especially those that spell success or include gravy, right? So, what is the recipe for us as a family? First of all, let's start there. Let's start with family. God wants us to start united and not divided. And that is the very example of Jesus. 
He wants us to consider and treat everybody as family, just like he did. From the tax collector to the prostitute, from the Samaritan to the Roman centurion, we can greet and treat all as brother and sister. We don't get to choose our blood lines, do we? But it turns out, according to Jesus, we also don't get to choose those that are truly a part of our family. So we start with family. Next, no categories. No categories. Culture and religion want to divide us. Jesus wants us to be one. That's why he calls us to the same purpose of love. Our assignment is the same regardless of our God-made or man-made distinctions. That's not to say we ignore those distinctions. Rather, we celebrate them. But we're not limited by those distinctions. So, who is it that Jesus has expressly called us to love? First of all, our tribe. Our tribe, obviously. Jesus said this, Didn't God command you to respect your father and mother? But you let people get by without helping their parents when they should. You let them say that what they have has been offered to God. Is this any way to respect your parents? You ignore God's commands in order to follow your own teaching. You're nothing but hypocrites. Now clearly, in the eyes of Jesus, our assignment includes loving our earthly father, mother, sibling, spouse, children, and etc., And most people have no problem doing so. Although for some, that is a significantly difficult call. But God has called us first to do that. But what if our family chooses to reject us and mistreat us and and want nothing to do with us? Does our assignment change? No, because we're also called to love our neighbors. We're called to love our tribe and also love our neighbors. Our assignment is just the same. Mark 12 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Whether an individual is blood or simply a physical neighbor, our assignment doesn't change. We love them as family. And who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone who is not us. Anyone who is not me. But what if my neighbor or relative chooses to treat me as an enemy? How does my assignment change then? Well, according to Jesus, not at all. Because Jesus said this, You have heard people say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Then, then you will be acting like your Father in heaven. Don't let the significance of that get by you. When we love our enemies, we're acting just like our Father does. So again, our assignment is always the same. No pre-qualifying, no judging. Despite the categories that anybody creates, our assignment is to love. Regardless of tribe, country, color, belief, persuasion, we start at brother and sister, and we start with love. So what will happen when we employ this no categories kind of thinking and living? What changes? Well, first of all, we change. But then everything changes. Following Jesus is not really difficult to understand, right? It's just really not that difficult to understand. It's just really difficult to do it. To love everyone. To treat everyone as a brother and sister unconditionally is the hardest of any calling that we could ever be given. But Jesus is calling us 
to that kind of love. Now, real quickly, next. No weeding. No weeding. Religion wants to and does separate us. Jesus said that all of that waits to the end. To illustrate that, he told his fathers the story of the weeds and the wheat. And in the story, a farmer gathered good seed in the field, but his enemy came in the night and scattered weed seeds. As the crop was maturing and the weeds were evident, the farmer's servants asked if they could go out and pull up the weeds. The farmer answered no, because they would also damage the wheat. This is how Jesus explained the story on the screen here. This one who scattered the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seeds are the people who belong to the kingdom. The weeds are those who belong to the evil one. And the one who scattered them is the devil. The harvest is the end of time and the angels are the ones who bring in the harvest. Weeds are gathered and burned. That's how it will be at the end of time. And the message is clear. No weeding. Religion falsely believed that believes that it's its job to separate the weeds from the wheat or the sheep and the goats. And Jesus said expressly that job is his and his alone. So enough of that kind of thinking and living for us. As Southwest Airlines, a, a former commercial used to say, you know, ding, you know, you're free to move about the country. Every time you hear that ding, say you are now free to love unconditionally. And we do it with the help of Jesus. And no equal. It must be said, so I will say it. Our love for Jesus should have no equal, including our family. No love that we've received can compare. And no love we give should compare either. Jesus said this, You cannot be my follower unless you hate your father and mother, your wife and children, and your brothers and sisters. You cannot follow me unless you hate your own life. And the hate that he's talking about is a hate in comparison. Obviously, he's called us to love our family and love them well, but in comparison to the love that we have for Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, there should be no love that approaches it. So who is really part of our family? In spiritual terms, it includes all who are following Jesus. In relational terms, it includes everybody that we're called to love which is no exceptions. In Jesus' terms, family is actually the human race without borders. And that's why we can greet and treat everybody, same tribe or different ethnicity, follower or not, friend or foe, neighbor near or far, as brother or sister. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we love our own families less. What I am saying is we love all around us more. Just as if they were the very family that we are sharing life every day under the same roof with. That is the kind of love that God is calling us to on a daily basis. That is the kind of love that he wants us to have on display every time we gather together and more significantly as we scatter throughout the community. As a family of brothers and sisters that are following Jesus together, not just as an organization or institution, again, that does good things and meets together and sings songs and hears words of encouragement and we go about to the next institution. God is calling us to something deeper, more intimate, more significant, and more 
can I say awesome, the family that he's called us to. Again, Jesus is good news, not just because he proclaimed it, but because he embodied it. Jesus is the very gospel himself, embodied in human flesh. He is the very good news. And he is calling us in the same way to embody that good news everywhere we wear our trailblazer gear in our world. He wants us to get beyond being a conditional team, a successful organization, or a noted community institution. He wants us to be a no-borders family. Would you stand with me? Now, of course, in any family, family begins with, family includes some tasks. If you get together for a Thanksgiving dinner, somebody's got to cook the turkey, someone's got to mix the stuffing, someone's got to bring the pie, and someone's got to keep the children entertained, right? Okay? But it's a family. It's not an organization, it's a family. And so too is how it needs to be here. And there are a number of tasks that we can do together. And there's a number of other things that you might be hearing about in the days ahead that are relationally based. We've got kids that we've got tremendous teams taking care of. You heard from one of them this morning, all right? And you don't have to be Jill, you know, on display, you know, with, uh, you know, four shots of espresso in order to do some significant things for the Lord and his kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful for your presence and we're grateful for your call. We're thankful for your significant call, but we are, we are sobered by that call because we know that we can't do that alone. We know that we don't have the resources at times to love the people that just love us back. And how we need divine resources to truly love unconditionally, to truly love when people don't deserve it, to truly love and forgive in a 70 times 7 kind of way. But I'm thankful that you have not left us alone as orphans, but you have called us your children, and you you have given us the very breath of life, and you've given us the very love you've called us to express by the power of the Holy Spirit. So may that love overflow us more and more and more in the days ahead is our prayer, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it be said of us as Fifth Avenue that we don't just do church as a team, but we do church as an unconditionally loving family. Because I believe that Jesus would love nothing more. You have a great week, everybody. We'll see you.